Okay, here's the deal. I have been a pastor for over a decade now. And in that time, I have heard a narrative on repeat over and over and over again that goes something like this. The church is on the decline. Millennials aren't interested in church. Gen Z certainly isn't interested in the church. The church is moving in the wrong direction. The church has already seen its best days. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this series, We the Church, where we are clarifying and declaring what the church is, is to remind you that back in the first century, people were saying the exact same thing about the church. Oh, it's not gonna make it. Oh, this isn't going to work. And yet when man says something is done, the Holy Spirit steps up and says, I'm just getting started. And see, in the second century, they were saying the same thing. In the fourth century, they were saying the same thing. In the eighth century, they were saying the same thing. So we shouldn't be surprised in the 21st century when they start saying the same thing. A city like Austin, it's not gonna work. People are far from God. People are moving away from God. And then you show up to Red Rocks at a weekend like last weekend, and we hear story after story uh, of men and women who are having their lives changed by God, and you realize something. It's easy to sit in the grandstands and throw stones at the church from afar. But when you, like me, wanna be a part of a gritty church like Red Rocks, where we're right in the middle of the mess with people, we actually realize that the church is, is, is on the move and alive, and every news channel in America is sleeping on the biggest story of the century, that God is on the move once again. Because when man says it's done, the Holy Spirit says, I'm just getting started. So watch this. Stop it. 
get a sponsor, work a program, and fight for my life. My clean day is October 31st, 2021. No drugs, no alcohol. I am in the process of healing, and I know that I have a purpose. It's not what I wanted it to look like, but I know that my mess has become my message. Can we make some noise for the 116 people that got baptized last weekend? <laughs> Ashley said it best, man. The enemy is going to do his best to try to make a mess out of our lives. But the way we give a middle finger to the enemy is to turn that mess into a message. And for as long as we exist as a church, that's what we intend to do. And so thank you all um, for, for being a part of last week and 116 people getting baptized. There was actually one more story. There was actually 117 people that I'm counting getting baptized, but I'm gonna tell you that story at the very end of this sermon. Let's not get ahead of ourselves first. It is week five of this series, We the Church, and I wanna answer the question, what's next? Like 116 of you are asking that question. Okay, I got baptized, now what? What's next for me? Or, or if you didn't get baptized, maybe you're looking around going, okay, we're part of building this church and we're making disciples and we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's happening. What do we do now? And I wanna try to answer that question for us today by turning to Acts chapter three, and we're gonna read verses one through 10. So we've been in the first two chapters as we've been going through this series where the Holy Spirit begins it all, like we talked about in week one, and then is the boldness of the disciples like Doug talked about in week two, stepping out, and then it's the devotion of the early church like Ethan talked about in week three, and then it's baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like we practice in week four. Then you turn the page, that all takes place in Acts one and two, you turn the page to Acts chapter three and we get some insight into where to go next. And so I'm gonna just read this passage, Acts three, one through 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screens. Um, and then we'll go back to, to the beginning and we'll work through it line by line together. Does that sound like a plan? Thank you all for being here. Thank you for those joining us online. Let's go. Acts chapter three, starting in verse one. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And verse six is where we're really gonna camp out today. 
Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And if you keep reading in the story, a whole bunch of people gather around and then Peter just does what he knows to do. When a crowd gathers, he starts preaching the gospel again, just like he did in Acts chapter two. And a whole bunch more people get saved and the church is accelerated. And so what I realized reading that passage a few weeks ago is really the next step in, in talking about how to be the church is, is this. If devotion is the foundation, generosity is the accelerator. Like devotion is what we're trying to be, who we're trying to be. But when we get serious about being generous, it expedites what God wants to do. And so I wanna preach a sermon today based off of Acts 3 and verse 6 where Peter just goes, hey, um, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I can give to you. And, and I'm gonna preach this sermon on generosity. We're gonna call it, give what you got. Give what you got. Now, before we dive in, I've been doing this long enough to know that as soon as I say the word generosity from a stage, there's a whole lot of different emotion that, that takes place. Some of you are like, I brought a friend for the first time, bro, what are we doing? <laughs> I know. Okay, let me, if I can, name some of this pain before we dive in. Like maybe some of you grew up hearing um, what we call the prosperity gospel, which by the way, anytime you put a word in front of gospel, you no longer have the gospel, right? The prosperity gospel sounds something like, well, God wants you to be rich and so just give and then you'll have like a Ferrari in your driveway tomorrow. And you buy into it, it's easy to buy into, but somewhere along the way you realize, oh, I'm not giving to build God's kingdom, I'm building, I'm giving to try to, bribe him into building my kingdom and this feels weird and now there's a guy on stage talking about giving and I don't like this, right? That's real and I get it. By the way, the problem with that mentality is the Bible. Uh, I hate to be the one to point this out, but we just read how Peter and John, two of the most devoted disciples of all time, get asked for money and their response is, yeah, I don't have any. <laughs> like, I was a fisherman, now I'm a pastor, sorry. Maybe though for you, it was the other side of the coin where you were taught, hey, if you follow Jesus, it means you have to be poor. If you follow Jesus, it means you can't have any money. And if you follow Jesus, it means you better give it all away and fast because Jesus may be coming back. I have pastoral meetings with people who have that, that baggage from the past who, who felt like they, they couldn't ever save be, because of that narrative. And so if I could just offer a pastoral word real quick. Um, Jesus may come back before I finish this sermon. And, and let's live in holy anticipation of that. Also, compounding interest is awesome. <laughs> like save money, invest money, be smart with your finances. That's not ungodly, that doesn't make you a second class citizen. In fact, it's the, the men and women who know how to play the long game with their money who are able to move the needle the most when it comes to funding the kingdom of heaven. 
And so the problem with the, the, the first issue is the, the Bible, but I would say the problem with this narrative that you can't have any money if you follow Jesus is also the Bible. I have lots of different examples, but I point you to Lydia, who, who was this wealthy businesswoman who got saved in Philippi. And she goes, hey, well, um, I've got this giant house. And Paul's like, perfect, we need a place to meet. And so the house church begins in her home, and then it's off to the races in Philippi. Why? Because a generous person just gave what she had. And so the problem with both of these narratives, I think, is it tries to put us at the center, when really Jesus is supposed to be at the center when we're talking about generosity. And, and, and that's why I wanna name this message, just give what you have because it's, it's, not a, it's not a competition, and it's not a, a, a head game, and there's no shame involved. It's just living generously looks like just being generous with what God has given you. And then real quick, to address a third group of people, maybe you've seen money just completely mishandled. Maybe you've been lied to, maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you were sewing into a, a ministry from some guy you saw on a TV and then you found out he has like a fleet of private jets or whatever and you go, well, this is just gross and this isn't it at all. I'm out of here, right? See, generosity was, was um, a part of the first century church. The problem is we have 2,000 years of imperfect people handling money imperfectly to sift through as we read the story in Acts chapter three. And so if you, if you will, um, just what I'm trying to do today is, is help us see that underneath all of that baggage is still an invitation from a perfect God to, to um, live an abundant and full life and generosity is a part of, of living that abundant full life. Say it like this, there's a degree of full life that you fundamentally forfeit when you refuse to be generous. And so what we wanna do is learn how to be generous. So with that, um, let's go back to Acts chapter one, or three, verse one. And what I'm gonna do is I wanna get really practical today, and I wanna give you three different categories to, to think about when it comes to generosity. We're gonna talk about time, we're gonna talk about talents, and we're gonna talk about treasure. And so as we go through this, if you're taking notes, you can write those three words down. And I want you just to take some, some inventory on your own life. And answer honestly, this isn't a test, like you don't have to share it with anybody, but if, if you were to, to give yourself a grade, one through 10, one being not so great, 10 being I'm, I'm crushing it, how are you doing in each of those three categories? Being generous with your time, being generous with the gifts that God has given you, and being generous with your treasure. And so that'll be our, our framework as we walk back through Acts chapter three. So back to verse one. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. The end of Acts two is kind of like that montage from the cheesy 90s movie where like the sports team is finally starting to play as a team and win some games. You know what I mean? And like it's going over the course of a few months and you're like, oh, things are going well. Acts chapter three, verse one is where the montage ends and we zoom back in on one afternoon. This is just like a normal Tuesday afternoon. And we find out that Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray at 3 p.m. Now, at this time, they had three times to pray, the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. And they started keeping track of time at 6 a.m. So for those of you who uh, aren't good at math or haven't woken up in 6 a.m. in a long, long time, let me help you out. That means 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. This was the third uh, of 
those hours and they're heading to the temple because that's what they did at 3 p.m. Now, let's chat for a second because when it comes to being generous with our time, I think one of our problems is um, that we have completely lost control of time. Like we've completely lost control of schedules in the 21st century. And so we read Acts and we think, well, they were just floating around waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell them what to do next. Like, no, they had a plan. They they had a, a plan set in place where they knew the three hours that they were going to pray. And so I think the first step in learning to be generous with our time is remembering that we're actually supposed to be in control of our time. Can't be, you can't give something away that you're not in control of. So Genesis 1, first page of the Bible, God looks at Adam and Eve and he tells them, hey, all of this is yours. I want you to go have dominion over it all. Time is a part of that creation that we're supposed to have dominion over. So I'll ask you this, do you have control of your schedule or does your schedule have control of you? See, if we wanna be generous with our time, we have to get some structure back in our day. We're so good at throwing out the rules and, and regulations because following Jesus is all about a relationship and I say yes and amen to all of that, but also some structure can be very helpful. Life is too busy to not set time aside to pray. Uh, I've been, been practicing this the last few weeks where I just set an alarm for noon and 3 p.m. I'm, I got the morning thing locked in, but then what happens is I get to work and, and I just get, go head down until 5 p.m. And, and I forget, you know, that like this whole thing is supposed to be for God and it's embarrassing because I work at a church, but whatever. <laughs> so what I've been doing is I've been setting uh, an alarm for noon and 3 p.m. and I just stop whatever I'm doing when it goes off, and I, I do this, it, it, feel free to, to borrow it. I tell God one thing I'm thankful for and one person I'm praying for, that's it. One thing I'm thankful for, one person I'm, I'm praying for. God, thank you so much for this place and everything you're doing through Red Rocks. Pray for all the volunteers, thank you for the, the hours that they sacrifice, would you bless them, would you be with them, would, would they feel needed and known today, amen. Just like that, it's an active way to, to take back control, right, uh, of our time. I love that Peter and John had a schedule. They're heading out to the temple at 3 p.m. because here's what starts to happen when, when we start to operate with a schedule is there are some divine disruptions along the way. Verse two, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Was reading that and I, I thought, okay, the gate was called beautiful. There's gotta be like some super spiritual reason for that, right? And, and, and it's gotta be like, if it's not beautiful yet, it will be. If you're not dead, God's not done. Walk through that gate called beautiful. Like let's get the baptismal, baptismal pool back out here and keep baptizing people. Like I'm thinking it's gonna be this amazing thing. And then I'm reading this guy named Josephus, who's a first century historian. And he goes, uh, yeah, so that gate was 75 feet tall. It was a double door and it was decor decorated beautifully. And I thought, okay, so that's the only, re okay, well, there you go. Now you know. It was called beautiful because it was beautiful. Makes sense. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now this man has been here every day for years. 
asking person after person after person, hey, can you spare a few dollars? Hey, can you spare a few dollars? Hey, can you spare a few dollars? I would imagine at some point he stopped seeing the people walking by and just started seeing the, the transactions, hoping for uh, another one, hoping to get a few bucks before the day was over. Peter and John walk by, and they don't see an opportunity for a transaction. They see an opportunity for a testimony. They turn that transaction into a testimony, and it looks like this. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Now remember, Peter and John had the best rabbi mentor in the history of the world. His name is Jesus. He was the goat when it came to stopping and seeing people and looking in their eye and treating them as real human beings who need and deserve our love and respect. And so I love that Peter and John have a schedule. They've got a place to be. And then there is an interruption, an inconvenient interruption. And they stop and they give this man their attention. Do you know that we live in a world that is dying for attention? I say we start giving it to them. That's what it looks like to be generous with our time. It was inconvenient. Yeah, okay, but generosity begins at inconvenience. Peter and John stop and they look him in the eye. So let's talk about your time. Let's talk about time. Would you say that you are a generous person when it comes to the time that God has given you on this planet? I'll go first. I'm at like a three right now. This is my worst category. This is the, the, the only one, only category that's trending currently in the wrong direction. Because life keeps getting busier and more and more demands and, and I'm not doing a good job of keeping that firm foundation where I can continue to grow and, and being generous with my time even as demands increase. It's not, I'm not, not great at this one. Like anybody, anybody have that friend that just seems to never be in a hurry? And they call you and you pick up and you say, hey, what's going on? And they go, hey, can you hold on a second? And you just sit there like, you called me, man. Don't call me until you're ready to talk to me. And then like you have to ask them a question that's like a one word answer that you need from them, but you're terrified because they just see that question as an opportunity to go into another story. And so you're like, hey, just real quick, I just need to know, should I come over at seven or eight for dinner? And they go, oh man, I was just down at H-E-B. You'll never believe what happened. And you're like, no, 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 just seven or eight. Just give just seven or eight. Yeah, the line was out of control that I'm in the parking lot. And you go, okay, I'll be there at eight. Right, because you know that their stories probably have a point, but they just keep circling the runway, just refusing to ever land the plane. And as soon as they're about to land the plane, just like Maverick in the beginning of Top Gun, they pull back up with another detail that just doesn't matter to the story at all. So I have what psychologists call hurry sickness. And if you resonate with my side of the equation, and that at all, you may as well. It's um, a feeling, <laughs> it's a feeling like time is scarce and we're always running out of it. It's really hard to be generous with our time to give what we have when we always feel like we're running out of it. 
Now, the easy Christian answer to this, of course, is we're followers of Jesus, which means we live forever, so we actually have an infinite amount of time. I know the answer. It's really hard to actually put into practice, especially when demands are real. That's why I love, this story has been convicting me over the last few weeks, because I love that they stop, and they look him in the eye, and they say, hey man, look at me. Let's be generous with our time. Verse five, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. What I see in this passage is Peter and John using the talents that God has given them. Make no mistake, healing is a gift of the Spirit. And, and, and healing is a gift that God had given to Peter and, and John. And so they go, look, we're fishermen. We don't have a whole lot of money, but... We do have this gift that God has given us. I can just give what I got right now. And so I'll give you what I have. I'll pray for you. And we'll just see what God does. And so um, the chiropractors in the room watching online, to the nurses and the doctors, to the counselors, the therapists, the social workers, you all have the gift of healing of restoring a broken world. And, and so I hope that infuses some purpose into your nine to five, because you're not just going to, to work, you're using the talents that God has given you to bring restoration to a broken planet. It's a beautiful call from God. It's just you using your gifts, using your talents to further the kingdom. To the mothers in the room, Nurturing and raising up the next generation is a sacred calling. Think about Jesus. Steps out of heaven. We tend to pick up the story when he's 30 and can handle himself very well. Remember, there was also a time when he was a baby. Remember, there was a time when he was a toddler. He was entrusted into the care of a, a humble mother named Mary who, who raised him up. Moms, to those of you who give up time to just consistently and constantly show up, even when you don't want to, who are patient with the next generation, even when you don't want to be, who, who continue to, to speak life and pray for the next generation, even when you don't want to be, what you do matters. That's you using the gifts that God has given you. Doug and I's mom, um, prays for us more than, than I'll ever know. Sent me a text yesterday and again today, praying for you, you got this, go get it. We grew up just hearing over and over and over again, hey, you can do this, you've got this. She would always say, you're gonna be mighty in the land. And, and there's a lot of different reasons why this church works, mostly just because God just keeps blessing it. But, but a part of it is that our mom just kept speaking confidence into our life so much that eventually we just started believing it. 
And, and so mothers, speak that same encouragement into your kids. And by the way, like the poem Doug read earlier, motherhood goes so much further than just biological children. To, to all of the women in the room who are nurturing and raising up the next generation, whatever that looks like for you, thank you for using your gifts to build the kingdom of heaven. All we can do is just give what we got. Well, I don't have much to give. Great. Give what you got. Here's one. Pray what you got. <laughs> There's so many days where I'm like, well, I got to pray, but I don't, I don't think I have it in me right now to give some like beautiful Psalm 23, Lord's Prayer, prayer for my friend. And then I realize like, <laughs> as if God's like, oh, but I really need this to sound good as you talk to me. Like, God doesn't need that. God just wants me to show up and be me. And, and, and so I, I sometimes just pray what I got. God, I'm nervous right now, overwhelmed right now. God, I'm confused right now. God, I feel really sad right now. God, I don't know what to do next right now. God loves those prayers. Give what you got and pray what you got. And by the way, um, real quick, you might have noticed that they pray for the man and they say, what do they say? In the name of Jesus. Jesus gives us permission to use his name in John 14. And so notice, uh, if Jesus was there, he wouldn't have said in the name of Jesus. He would have just said, get up and walk. We're not Jesus. Jesus is God, we're not God. So what we do is we pray in the name of Jesus. It's an amazing honor. If you've ever wondered why we end our prayers in the name of Jesus or in Jesus' name, this is why. It's also a reminder that if we're going to pray for something in the name of Jesus, let's make sure it aligns with the way of Jesus. Oh God, I just pray that this business would be a $10 billion business that I would be invited to speak at conferences all around the world and thousands of people would worship me and validate me in the name of Jesus. Wait, really? Because the way of Jesus was uh, to not really care about validation from other human beings at all. Like the way of Jesus is he knew how his heavenly father cared about him. Even before ministry began, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's all the validation I need. Now I'll just go be present and give what I got. When you pray for something in the name of Jesus, make sure it aligns with the way of Jesus. Oh God, I just pray she would realize how much of a catch I am and that she would fall in love with me in Jesus' name. God, I pray that this Powerball ticket would be the ticket so I can give a little bit of it to charity in Jesus' name. Hey, praying in the name of Jesus is an honor. It's a gift. It's an invitation from God. He loves it when we do it. When we pray in the name of Jesus, though, let's make sure it aligns with the way of Jesus. And then we just give what we got, the talents that we have. When Peter and John do that, a whole bunch of people come from all around and they, they wanna see what happens. You can read this story, the rest of the story in Acts 3 this week. Peter starts preaching and uh, it says in Acts 2 that 3,000 people got saved. And then by Acts 4, that number is up to 5,000. And so I don't know if all of that took place in that moment, but, but it sure seems like a whole lot of it, like, like thousands, maybe 2,000 more people got saved just as Peter and John gave what they had, the talents and gifts that they had to the kingdom. So what are the gifts that God has given you? What are the talents that God has entrusted you with? 
How can you use those for the kingdom? And then, of course, the last one, treasure. Um, and this is the one where, where um, I think a lot of the, the baggage comes from and a lot of the man- manipulation has taken place over the years. And, and so all I want to do is I, I want to point us to, to something Jesus said in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount um, where he, he's going to go, hey, really what we're trying to get at here is where is our heart and what is our heart posture towards the world? Is it I want to build my kingdom or is it I'm here to build the kingdom of heaven? Let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If he was writing in the 21st century, he'd probably say, don't spend your whole life saving up for a car that one guy that's not paying attention and staring at their phone could ruin in an instant, for example. <laughs> but store up for yourselves, here it is, treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then verse 21 is it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, why are we talking about being generous with our treasure? Because Jesus tells us the things that, that, that we spend our money on are a really good indication of where our heart is at. And so really all I'm after today is helping you have a heart conviction, a, a reason for living, a vision for your life that helps you get out of bed in the morning. Because if we can start to work on that conviction, then the way you spend your treasure is just going to follow suit. And so if I could, let me just give you mine. Not because this has to be yours, but, but maybe it will inspire or influence you. One of my big convictions, one of the things I, I love, one of the reasons I get out of bed is Revelation 7-9. In Acts, we see a picture of the, the beginning of the church. In Revelation 7-9, we see a picture of the end where all of this is heading. And it says every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered together in unity to sing and worship Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I love that picture because it's a picture of unity. And by the way, unity does not mean uniformity. It's every culture celebrated every tongue celebrated, every tribe celebrated, each bringing their, their own unique um, moment to, to this beautiful song, just like a giant symphony. We get to be a part of this symphony of saints, working together to compose a song to worship the King. That's what I care about. That's why last week we saw 116 more people take their seat and join in on this beautiful song, this beautiful symphony. I celebrate that. That's what I wanna see. I wanna see heaven made more crowded. That's, why, that's where I give my money to. And uh, one of my favorite parts of last week was um, that one of our, our partners, our global partners, somebody that we, that we get to support constantly was sitting right over here during one of the services. And, um, their ministry works with the unreached people groups around the world. Uh, and the hardest to reach 
nations, and I do mean the hardest ones. If you're thinking like, oh, it couldn't be that one, they're working on it. And um, he's sitting right here praying for all of you, celebrating along the way as 116 people get baptized. And then on Monday, we got to sit down with him and, and hear some stories about where our money, our treasure as a church, when we share it, where it's going. And he told us story after story after story. And uh, shared one that got me. Um, I'm gonna leave the details out. That's on purpose, sorry, doesn't make it quite as good of a story, but that's to protect them. I will say this, story takes place in Afghanistan. One of the, the pastors there that we support as a church was preaching in this village just last week and preaching, 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 and then he leaves and he travels 20 hours to get home. He gets home, he gets a phone call from somebody who was there in that village. The person says, I can't stop thinking about Jesus. I didn't grow up with any of this gospel stuff. Just realizing now that I'm an imperfect person in need of, a, of the love of a perfect savior. I wanna put my faith in Jesus, I wanna get saved. So this guy that you support, he just turns right around and he drives 20 hours back to, to this little village to just start talking to him. And they pray together. And then they go out back in this secret place and I got to see a picture of this, this little water, uh, uh, natural river, river was the word I was looking for. This little river, and they baptize him. And uh, got me for a number of reasons. One, because we got to do this so publicly. And I got to share stories all day on social media about how amazing this is. And let's keep doing that and let's keep enjoying that, but let's not ever take that for granted. They sneak away and they have this baptism moment. And last week we're, we're talking to them and we go, so 116 people got baptized at Red Rocks, but let, let's count that as 117 because that was a part of what we did, church. That's a part of what happens when we learn to get generous with the treasure that God has given us. I don't have much. Yeah, you do. Just give what you got. Time, talents, treasure, whatever you can give, just live a generous life. I'm telling you it changes everything. So would you guys stand to your feet with me? We're gonna sing one more song. And as we do, I wanna just give you an invitation to think about each of these three categories in your life. And just start praying and asking God, God, what, what does that look like for me? How can I take another step in the right direction in each of these three categories? And I'll leave you with this, one more thought. As if being a part of the great symphony of the saints isn't, isn't enough, let's do one more. Um, there's a final reason to be generous. It's because God set up his world in such a way that when we're generous, it's a win-win that being generous helps other people, but in return, you actually realize that, that you're the one being helped. That being generous with our time can raise up and inspire another person, but along the way, you realize that they inspired you way more than you ever could inspire them. That using the gifts that, that God has given you to help move the kingdom of heaven forward is amazing until you realize that it actually infuses you with more purpose than you could ever know what to do with. And when you give 
of your treasure, you just realize, like, like, like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, you seek first the kingdom of heaven, everything else gets added to you. May not be the way you want it, may not be in the timeline that you want it, but God takes care of you. I'll say it this way, you give what you got, give what you got, give what you got. Why? Because you get what you give. Give what you got because you get what you give. Proverbs 11 and verse 25 says it like this, the generous will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Why? Because you get what you give. After our local partner told us all these stories, he, uh, he tells us all the stories and then we ask him, we go, hey, tell us, tell us how you're doing really. Like beneath all that, like how are you doing as a person? And uh, they've, the honest truth is they've been going through a lot and they have a really hard mission field and there's legal things and there's a whole lot of battles to fight. We ask him how he's doing and he looks at us and he goes, I've never felt more alive than I feel right now. I've never been more inspired to fulfill the great commission, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth that every tongue, tribe, and nation would know the good, beautiful message of the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I just was sitting there thinking, he gets it. He gets Proverbs 11:25. He gets why generosity is such an important uh, heart posture for building the church. It's because you actually, when you encourage others, you end up being encouraged. When you refresh others, you end up being refreshed. It's an absolute win-win in God's kingdom. And that's why, church, we have to talk about generosity. And so, Father God, whatever generosity looks like for us, I pray that you would begin to speak, that you would begin to uh, encourage, that you would begin to, to heal the places where, where generosity has been mishandled in hearts and souls right now. And as we lift our attention and our affection to you, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would teach us how to be a generous generation. Father, would you teach us how to be generous with our time, teach us how to be generous with our talents, teach us how to be generous with our treasure, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.